the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I wonder if you're on track to becoming a King Herod, where you no longer have ears to hear the voice of God. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles, with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today, we start a brand new study titled Looking in His Eyes in John 18 and 19. Have you ever had someone look into your eyes, not just a glance, but rather a deep and a penetrating look? It was as if they could see right through you. And there are times just by the look in their eyes, we know exactly what they're thinking. Yes, eyes come in many shapes and sizes, from big eyes to little eyes, from bulging eyes to bloodshot eyes. Some eyes are often filled with tears, while other eyes seem to overflow with laughter. It's amazing what expressions we can convey simply by the way we look at someone. Like being mad. It's like the look that Mr. Potato Head has when he puts in his angry eyes, okay? Or how about the look of road rage? We see that look a lot here in Los Angeles as someone passes you by and gives you the stink eye, okay, as they drive by. Then there's the look of disappointment when a loved one or a friend has let us down. Then there's the look of joy and happiness. That's always a given when you're looking forward to that trip to Maui. Yes, our eyes many times can be a window that directly looks into our own heart. It can tell others how we really feel. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson that said this quote, An eye can threaten like a loaded gun. It can insult like someone hissing. Or it can alter a mood by beaming looks of kindness that can make a heart dance for joy. End quote. Yes, a look is all it takes at times to speak a thousand words. One look from a mother to her child can let that child know that she is so proud of them and that she loves them more than they could ever imagine. Yet, another look from a mother could tell their child that when we get home, you are going to get the biggest spanking of your entire lifetime. So enjoy not listening to me at the grocery store right now because when we go home, you have an appointment with a paddle named Mr. Rump Roast. Yes. It all starts with the eyes though, and it continues with the surrounding facial muscles. Samuel Richardson said this quote, where words are restrained, the eyes often talk a great deal. Yes, there are 7 billion people on planet earth, and yet there is only one of you, and our eyes set us apart from everybody else. Did you know the eyes are as unique as fingerprints for individualizing us? 
That's why you can use eyes as a scanner. They can scan your eye, and it would be just like having a fingerprint that no one else has. I wonder what kind of eyes you have. Do you have happy eyes? Do you have angry eyes? Maybe you have sad eyes. What do people see when they look into your eyes? Are they trustworthy eyes? Are they a little on the shaky side of eyes? Are they eyes of hope and joy? Or are they eyes of skepticism and conspiracy? A lot can be said by looking in to a person's eyes. I remember this one time I was out witnessing in Hawaii. Of course, I was over suffering for the Lord there. But anyway, uh, as I walk up, there is this girl leaning on her boyfriend and he was on a payphone. And so she's just kind of leaning up against him and he's on the payphone. So I walk up and go, hi, how's it going? So I start talking to the girl and the guy's like looking at me with angry eyes. Like, who are you? What are you talking about? He wouldn't get off the phone. He's like, he's looking back at me. He's got angry eyes. But she had eyes that were ready to listen about Jesus because I told her that there was a God in heaven that loved her and so she was asking me questions we were talking back and forth like this is going on for like 25 minutes and the guy won't get off the phone I think he was a drug dealer and he's making his stand making his deal and I'm there preaching to his girlfriend and then she while he's still on the phone gave her heart to Jesus all in the midst of him having angry eyes and she had receiving eyes yes it was good it was good But today, as we continue in our study through the book of John, we left off last time with Jesus being betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He was arrested, Jesus was, and falsely accused. Peter was following him at a distance, warming himself around the enemy's campfire as he ended up denying that he even knew the Lord three times in a row. And it was then, after the third time, at that very moment, that the rooster had crowed. Now, Peter remembered what Jesus said just earlier that evening, maybe three, four hours earlier. At the Last Supper, when Peter was bragging and proclaiming to the Lord that though all the other disciples would deny him, not me, I'm Peter the Rock. I will never deny you, he said. But that's when Jesus informed Peter, before the rooster crows this morning, Peter, you will have already denied me three times. You could imagine what Peter was thinking at that moment. No, not going to happen, Lord. I mean, I know you're usually right. But not this time. But yet, it happened exactly the way that Jesus said. But it was at that very moment, as the rooster was crowing, that after he had denied the Lord three times, that as if it couldn't get any worse, it got worse for Peter. They were moving Jesus across the courtyard at that very moment. And Luke's gospel records for us that Jesus, at that moment, looked deep into Peter's eyes. Again, imagine what his eyes must have said. Were they eyes of total disgust? Eyes of total disappointment? You know, Peter, you've got that disease of hoof and mouth disease. You're always putting your foot in your mouth. You're always doing the wrong thing. Right when I needed you, man, you let me down again. Were they those eyes? Or were they the eyes of love and compassion? Like, Peter, you need to deny yourself. You just need to really follow me. Stop thinking you're so good in yourself, but you know, I just want you to know, I love you. Yes, Peter could only at that point though, run outside from the city walls and he sobbed in shame for denying his Lord. 
But getting back to Jesus, the religious leaders were guilty of trying him illegally. Why was it illegal? Because no criminal was to ever be tried in the middle of the night. They were to be tried during the day in public. Yet Jesus did not even receive the same treatment of a common criminal. And what was his crime? Well, they asked him straight up in the Gospel of Luke, Are you the Son of God? Which would make him equal to the Father. Jesus answered, Yes, I am. And that's all this group of hypocritical religious leaders needed. And at sunrise, they immediately took Jesus to the Roman governor with the express purpose of having Jesus crucified. The governor's name, as you know, was Pontius Pilate. So in light of our title, Looking Into His Eyes, we will consider three points. Who are you? Pontius Pilate wanted to know when he went in to talk to Jesus, who are you? Our second point will be a worthless judge. As Pontius Pilate tried to get himself out of even messing with this whole thing, he shifted him over to King Herod, and he was a worthless judge. Number three, we'll look at behold the man. That's all that Pontius Pilate had to say after interviewing Jesus. Well, let's look at our first point. Who are you? As we read together in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, we'll pick up from where we left off last time. Verse 28 says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, that's a high priest, into the praetorium. And it was early. And they themselves did not enter. These are the religious leaders of the day. They didn't enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but they might eat of the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and they said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have have delivered him to you. An evildoer? Picking up in verse 31, so Pilate said to them, well, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. To death? What could this man have done deserving of death? Verse 32, to fulfill the words of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death that he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and he summoned Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and your chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I find no guilt in him. Well, that's a lot of text and there's a lot of stuff in there. So let's pull it apart here. As we see, Jesus was led into the praetorium. This was the headquarters for the commanding officer of the Roman military. Now, 
This is not where Pilate lived. This is just where he would hang out when he was in Jerusalem. His home, of course, was there in Caesarea, right on the Mediterranean Sea. They had like a little mini Rome built there with a mini Colosseum, and they had all kinds of games there. It's a beautiful sight. When you stand there thinking, wow, this is absolutely stunningly beautiful. And they found their little headstone of what his own house was. Because some would say, well, Pontius Pilate wasn't the governor during the time of Jesus. Well, that's not true because they found the artifacts that his house was right there in Caesarea. But Pilate, again, would spend much of his time here at the Praetorium overseeing Jerusalem as the governor that was sent from Rome. But notice in verse 28, the Jews would not enter in. And why is that? Because in the Jewish oral law, they would be unclean to eat of the Passover if they entered the house of a Gentile. How sad of what dead religion does to a person. I mean, think about it. The religious leaders conspired against Jesus. They secretly paid Judas Iscariot 30 pieces of silver out of their own treasury to betray and to point out Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane for his arrest. Judas walked up to him in the garden and gave him a kiss just to point him out to the guards because there was not a lit place there. Then they had an illegal trial held in the middle of the night and after many went home. Then, using false witnesses, they convicted Jesus. And what was his charge? He was the king of the Jews, which he proved by his own life, did he not? For right in front of all of these religious leaders, did Jesus not heal the sick? Did he not make the blind see, the cripple walk? He even raised people from the dead. The last one being about a week and a half earlier, where a man named Lazarus was dead for some four days and buried in a grave. And in front of the religious leaders, Jesus said, roll the stone of his tomb away. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, with his grave wrappings on, came out from as a dead man, now alive, all in their own presence. Crazy but true. Yet now, because of their own jealousy, their own hypocrisy, their own envy, these religious leaders were now trying to hold on to their own feeble power over the people. People were flocking to Jesus and they couldn't stand it. And they want Jesus dead. But now, what are they concerned with? Oh, we cannot walk into a Gentile's house. They're concerned about being unclean for the Passover celebration. Couldn't they see what they're doing? This is the least of their problems. They had a much bigger problem on their hands, like they're trying to kill the Messiah. Crazy, but true. But that's what dead religion does. Makes you look at these little religious things. Oh, I got to make sure I do this, little ceremonies and all of this, while you're living a wicked life of sin. And listen, if you're going to live a wicked life of sin, I don't care what religious duties you do. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care what little religious you know, ceremonies you keep and what candles you light. It doesn't matter. You've already lost. Yes, and as we will see today, it's not going to be as easy as they thought to kill the Messiah. Why? Because Pontius Pilate sees right through their little scam here. And in verse 30, he tells them to deal with it on their own. But that simply wasn't going to happen because they wanted Jesus dead and they wanted him dead now. So Pilate decides that he will talk to Jesus. Wow, what a paradox this is. Here you have Jesus standing before Pilate, the judge of Rome. 
Yet one day Pilate will stand before Jesus as his eternal judge. And in verse 33, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? This must have been where it all started right here. As Jesus looked deep into the eyes of Pontius Pilate. And he basically said, well, are you asking because you want to know? That's when Pilate gets to the point quickly and says, look, hey, I'm not a Jew, meaning I don't really care who you are and I don't care what you've done. Yet Jesus must have pierced into Pilate's eyes all the way down to the depth of his heart. As he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate replies, so you are a king. I wonder if initially Pilate was thinking, great, here I am with all the stuff I got going on right now. I got a crazy man standing in front of me telling me he's a king of some other realm. Oh, wonderful. But then Jesus with power in verse 37 said, I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I come into the world to bear witness of the truth. I wonder if those words shook the walls around Pilate. Here we have the eternal God who became a man, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who made the very sun that was shining outside. And he's standing directly in front of Pontius Pilate. I wonder if his heart started to sink a little bit. I wonder what this man from Rome was thinking. Then, as Jesus said, I bear witness of the truth. That's when Pilate said, truth? Really? What is truth? Here you have a man that's been playing the political game for the most part of his life. Politics is all he's ever known. And Rome, just like here in America, was corrupt. As people play all their little political correct games that we're surrounded with. I wonder how early it was in Pilate's life before he realized in order to get ahead in this life, you got to watch what you say. You got to watch what you do. You got to socialize with only the right people, smoothing them over whenever it is necessary. Yes, Pilate must have doubted the very existence of any kind of real truth as he climbed the political ladder to become the governor or one of the governors sent from Rome. And now he has seen enough. His heart has been somehow touched by this man who is looking through his soul. So Pilate here, though he might have doubted the very existence of any kind of real truth, now he says, I'm facing the truth as the all-piercing eyes of Jesus looked right through him. Maybe for the first time in Pilate's life, he saw what truth really looked like. The gospel of Matthew says in Matthew 27, 14, that Pilate was quite amazed with Jesus. The King James Bible uses the word, he was marveled with Jesus, meaning he had a deep admiration for him to the point of wonder. Now, Pilate leaves the room to tell these self-absorbed leaders what he really thought. And what did he say to them? I find no guilt in this man. This man's not guilty. What are you talking about? Yet, they kept pushing. They kept insisting that Pilate judge him. Pilate, recognizing that he didn't want to be any part of judging Jesus, he tried to step out graciously, which brings up our second point, a worthless judge. Looking over in the 
the gospel of Luke in chapter 23, verse 7, it says this. And when Pilate learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, oh, he's a Galilean? Okay, he sent him over to Herod. Okay, so Herod is the king there in Israel. So what you have, basically, is you have the occupiers. Rome has come in and has taken over the area. But they're allowing Israel to continue to work with their own city government, even though we're around you and we own you. But we're allowing you to kind of have your own government. So we're going to have, you're going to have your little mock king here, and we'll let you play all your little games here. But we're really over you and we own your land. So here, Pilate knew that Jesus was an innocent man. And he wanted to rid himself of the whole matter. So he shipped Jesus over to Herod, hoping that he could pacify these leaders. Now, Herod was a sinful ruler over Galilee. He's the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. You remember how that hall came down, right? So Herod took his brother's wife, snatched her, and then he married his brother's wife. So John the Baptist would be preaching the gospel and he'd look up at Herod. John the Baptist was a marvel. People were like, they would go miles to see him. It's like, wow, this was a prophet. Jesus said he is the greatest prophet that ever lived. And so Herod was caught up with him. But every time John the Baptist saw Herod, he says, you're living in sin, you adulterer. You're, you married your brother's wife. So he's calling them on the carpet. And of course, you know, Herod's wife's just like, oh, uh, oops. You know, it's like, because he's not afraid of the government. He's not afraid of King Herod. So through his wife and what have you, he finally arrests John the Baptist and puts him in prison. But yet Herod would go down and listen to John the Baptist. You know, it's almost like there was a moment where God was trying to get through to the heart of King Herod. But then all of a sudden, his wife's daughter, I guess the daughter of his brother, She turned 16, she turned 18, I don't know, whatever. She was having a big birthday bash and she did a sensual dance. And she came and she danced so sensual and kind of robbed the whole show. And he's got this big party, all of his, you know, muckety-mucks are there. And she's doing... Okay, so anyway, he's so moved by this dance that he says, I will give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom. What a fool. It's like you're going to give this kid... Anything she wants up to half of your kingdom, he's just saying, whatever you want, dear, you can have it. So then mama gets over there and says, well, come here, honey. Let me tell you what you need. Well, what do I need, mommy? Ask for John the Baptist's head on a golden platter. Oh, my goodness. When Herod heard that, he did not want to do that. Because he had this deep respect. Even though he knew he was living in sin and he knew that John the Baptist was right, there was just so he, he did not want to, but he would not say that he would not step up into what he said in his word. I'll give you anything you want. So, because of all of his dinner guests and everything, he said, So be it. And they went down and they chopped off John the Baptist's head and brought it on a platter. Here you go, little girl. This is what you want, this is what you got. And it's like, so that's how John the Baptist, that's how he died. Yes, this man had opportunity after opportunity, King Herod, to repent of his sin. But he chose not to repent of his sin. You know, imagine how sin can callous our own hearts. I wonder if there's anyone here today that's been living in sin for so long that you no longer feel any guilt 
Maybe there was a time when you knew it was wrong what you were doing, but you have lived in it so long now, you have justified your lifestyle along with your own choices. And although you have convinced some that, oh, you're okay, I'm I'm okay with God, we're good, me and Jesus are just like this, you still know that it's wrong. I wonder if you're on track to becoming a King Herod where you no longer have ears to hear the voice of God and you will just simply die in your sins. See, Herod became a man that you would say had a reprobate heart. When you read of a reprobate heart, like in Romans 1, a reprobate heart is like you're beyond repentance. Like you no longer have an open door to come back and repent. You have lived in your sin for so long. You have calloused your heart so much that you're beyond repenting before God. And that is where this man was. And that's what sin will do for you. That's all the time we have for today's message. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA, to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.